0: What is? what is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling?
1: Biblical counseling will grow
0: you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. Mm-hmm. This is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church,
1: this never resonated with me. <laughs>
0: This is Transformed, and now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University, and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford.
1: Welcome back to Transformed, and welcome back to our series on mental health, or mental hygiene, or addressing mental illnesses and disease, whatever you want to call that. We've been in a series now. This is the second part of our series. Talking about mental health. Last episode, I brought up the idea of how mental health is becoming an epidemic in North America. We have one out of five people being diagnosed with a mental illness. Dr. Alan Francis, Duke Professor Emeritus, says before long, the question will be not who is sick, but who is not sick. So, we want to dig into what does this mean biblically so at the end of the last episode i did my best to show you how the mind and the brain are actually being collapsed into one thing meaning when we say mind we often mean brain or when we say brain we often mean mind this episode i want to help you see the biblical difference between the two so this episode and our next episode we're going to be in the bible the majority of the time because i want you to get a enough scripture to see what the Bible says about the mind and what the Bible says about the brain. And if we really do believe that God's word is the authority, and we do, then we want to let God's word actually frame not only the conversation, but even the definitions within the framing of the conversation. So in any conversation, remember, we're asking questions like, well, what do you mean? Can you define that? Help me understand what you mean by that. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into what the scripture talks about when it talks about the mind and the brain. So what is the mind biblically? This is the question. What is the mind biblically? Is it what Clifford Whittingham beers had taught it to be something that needs medical care and we need mental hygiene and we need mental health. We need medicine. We need something. We need psychiatrists. We need things like that in order to help treat the mind. Well, is that what the scripture says? Is that the proper usage of the term mind? Or is that perhaps not the best use of the term mind? Is there something else that we're talking about? Well, I hope you're listening. All right. Now, many of you are driving, so you can't turn along with me. So listen along with me. But if you do have the chance to go back to your scripture and this topic is near and dear to you, you need to go look up some of these passages for the sake of your own clarity. Let's start in the Old Testament, and I want to show you a couple of utilizations in the Old Testament. Let's go to Exodus 36 to begin. In Exodus 36, we are seeing the parameters of the tabernacle being provided and the opportunity to build a tabernacle where God would now provide means for sacrifice, the atoning of sin. The tabernacle would be something that the Israelites would journey with. Remember, just semantically, We are saying tabernacle and not temple. Solomon is going to be the one who is blessed by God to be able to build the temple in Jerusalem. And this is the tabernacle that is actually going to be transported with the children of Israel down in the Negev, down in their sojourning in the wilderness. All right, now Exodus 36 verse 1 says, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So, first of all, let me try to put this in context. So, these are the craftsmen for the tabernacle. The craftsmen for the tabernacle is going to be, uh, are excuse me, are going to be individuals who have a particular skill and intelligence. In chapter thirty-six, verse two, look at what the text says. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. These craftsmen are gifted for the sake of building the tabernacle. And where has the Lord implanted and gifted them? In their mind. In their mind. Okay, that's the Old Testament use. This is the Old Testament use. What you're seeing translated here in the English is mind. So, the skill, the intelligence, where is that given? It is given to the mind. All right, well, let's keep going. Let's go over to the book of Daniel. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, we see that the Chaldeans actually do conquer the Babylonians, just as Daniel said would take place. So, it's funny because Daniel is actually honored for saying, Hey, y'all are all about to die, and the kingdom is going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. The end of chapter 5, that happens. Beginning of chapter 6, we now see Darius, is, he's the new big dog in town. And yet Darius gets trapped by his own conniving political leaders to make an edict so that there would be no prayer except to him. Daniel has already risen in esteem with this new king, and Daniel is unfortunately caught in between this new edict and King Darius' affections for Daniel. So Darius has no choice but to actually follow through on his plans to put Daniel in the lion's den. So verse 14 of chapter 6, the king, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They got him. They got him. He knew they got him. He knew what they were up to. They're later gonna pay the consequences of their conniving plan, but Daniel nevertheless is going to be cast into the lion's den, verse 16. What does Darius set his mind to doing? Trying to get Daniel out of this, Darius probably had to feel a bit duped by his sad traps and by his political leaders. And yet he sets his mind to free them. He's setting his mind. This is the biblical term, his mind. What is he setting his mind to? He's setting it to freeing Daniel and coming up with a plan that would free Daniel. So here are two instances in the Old Testament where you're seeing the idea of the mind be used and be used in an immaterial way. All right, to my discerning listeners in the Old Testament, you're going to see that the Mind is a reference to the inner man, the soul, the comprehending mind. And when I say comprehending mind, think of the thinking mind of understanding. It is a reference to affections and will with an occasional emphasis of one or the other by means of certain verbs. So this is simply from a Hebrew and English lexicon. That's all I'm trying to quote. I'm not trying to make up a biblical counseling definition. This is not antipsychiatry.com that I pulled this from. I'm just trying to show you semantically how is the mind used in the Old Testament. It's the inner person or the inner man or the soul or the comprehending mind or the affections in the will. And it's this emphasis on immaterial and it's not material. So a couple of things to take away from these two passages before we skip over to the New Testament. In both of these passages, the mind is immaterial and the mind is not the organ of the brain. Okay, just to be clear, Darius is setting his mind. These skilled craftsmen have been gifted in their minds. So immaterial, we're talking about the inner person. We're talking about synonyms like soul, heart. This, this is what we are talking about for the mind. This is Old Testament. Now let's go over to the gospel of Luke. Hopefully you're thinking this through and you're like, you know what, Dr. Gifford, I'm actually seeing what you're getting at here. I, I'm seeing some of the things. Yeah, I think by the time we're done with the gospel of luke and working through some of the new testament you're going to be like this is a home run alley-oop reverse slam dunk like there is no way to confuse what the bible says about the mind i hope that's the way that you begin to think all right you think this is post ascension or excuse me post resurrection pre-ascension so jesus has already risen from the dead and now he is beginning to appear on the road to emmaus to his disciples verse 44 of luke 24. When Jesus comes and appears to them, he said to them, "These are my words, and that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses, and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled." Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, "Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem." All right. In Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to the disciples, he reminds them of what the Old Testament law and prophets and Psalms said about the Messiah, and he reminds them, I all along was going to die, the Messiah was going to die, have victory over death, and that victory would lead to the Messiah rising to the right hand of the Father. This is what's been promised for years, and that's what just happened, disciples. What is Jesus doing? He is opening their mind, verse 45, to understand the scripture. He does not, not to be sick or gross, but he does not open their skull and touch their brain. Oh, right. You know that. I mean, you just read this normally in its context and you get that he is speaking to to an immaterial part of the disciples. What is he showing them? He is showing them what the scriptures said. He is teaching them new thoughts and connecting thoughts about what the scripture said and how it applies to him. He opens their mind, not their brain. Their brain would actually be kind of weird if he opened that, although we obviously know he could heal it and close up the skull and, ugh, all right, sorry to go down that gross rabbit rabbit trail. But yes, what is it? It's the immaterial mind. It's the immaterial mind. So let's pause here. We need to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up with Romans 14. We will be right back.
0: All right, well, we're going to be back to Dr. Gifford in just a moment as we continue to dive deep. Well, not we, he continues to dive deep into the intricacies of the mind and the brain. Very enlightening information. And before we continue, I want to highlight some valuable resources that we have available in the Transform Store. First up from our treasure trove of resources, I want to recommend the biblical view of self-esteem, self-love and self-image by the Godfather of biblical counseling himself. Dr. J. Adams. It is a profoundly insightful book, and it dives into the understanding of self-perception through the lens of Scripture. And it reminds us that the true value of a person can't be found in any type of worldly label that you might put on yourself. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks of you, what your co-workers think of you, what your friends think of you. The true value of any person lies in what God says about that person. It's a profound, book and it's for anybody looking to reconcile the complexities of the mind with biblical truth. And as we continue to produce episodes just like these and jump into topics that matter, we need your help and support in order to continue doing it. And that's why I want to ask that you consider prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. It's your contributions that are vital in keeping transformed and all of our other resources thriving. Remember, every little bit helps in spreading the gospel and bringing biblical wisdom to more ears and to more hearts. Also, for those of you who are looking to deepen their understanding in the concept of biblical counseling, well, bless your heart, because as I tell you all the time, we need more biblical counselors in our churches and more biblical counseling ministries. And a resource that I recommend that it's pretty much a must-have, that's How to Counsel Biblically by Dr. John MacArthur. It's a comprehensive book, a guide, so to speak, that gives you valuable insights and practical advice for anyone that's aspiring to become a biblical counselor. And so if you're looking to do that and you want to deepen your understanding of how Scripture addresses all issues, not just some issues, but all issues... I recommend How to Counsel Biblically by Dr. John MacArthur. And of course, we want to hear from you. Dr. Gifford does. If you have questions out there, if you're struggling with anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Email Dr. Gifford at greg at transformed.org. And as always, your privacy is respected. You can remain anonymous if you choose to. Just email him at greg at transformed.org and then listen because he very well may answer your question on a future episode of Transformed. All right, well, let's get back into it now as Dr. Gifford continues highlighting the differences in the mind and the brain. This is Transformed. Welcome back to Transformed. The world's
1: definition of beauty is simply not found in the Bible. Instead, the Bible informs us that true beauty is defined not by this world, but by
0: God himself. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, thank you,
1: Jimmy. We are back. We are talking about the mind. We're getting into our minds here. Uh, The Old Testament has used the term mind. The New Testament has used the term mind. Let's go over to Romans and I'm not going to turn to probably the most familiar one just for the sake of, I hope I can say it and it will come to your mind. No pun intended. Let's go to Romans 14. However, Romans 12, you know, don't be conformed to this world. So no worldliness, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. Transformation is something we are talking about all the time on this show. And the idea is it's not transformation of the organ of your brain. In fact, we'll talk more about how your brain can actually deteriorate, and yet your mind can be growing in Christ-likeness and fruitfulness. So Romans 12, mind, immaterial, mind, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 14. Okay, for those of you who aren't familiar with Romans 14, this is a, a section of Scripture where Paul is helping the Romans to interact with their own personal convictions. What he's showing them is that their convictions should not trump, walk all over, hurt the other believers in the church. And he tells them to welcome one another, but not to welcome one another so that they can bribe them, uh, talk them into espousing their own position. That's not what he's telling you to Just welcome one another. So have your own convictions. But don't try to convert other people to sharing in your convictions about food, about the observances of holidays. These are convictional issues. And when he says this, verse 5, so this is Romans 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own brain. No, not brain, in his mind. Where are you convinced about your convictions in your mind? In your mind. Biblically, it is your inner person. Biblically, it is inside of you. Biblically, it is immaterial. So hold your conviction dearly, but don't try to convert someone else to your conviction. Romans 14. Welcome one another. All right, let's keep moving. This isn't all. There's plenty. We could do this for a while. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 14. In the context of a chaotic worship service... The Corinthians were actually known for having one individual get up, speak in tongues. So go to chapter 14, really 12 to 14 are going to deal significantly with the chaotic church service. One person stands up to speak in tongues, another person prophesies, there's no interpretation. And Paul begins to tell them, hey, this is not helpful. Imagine if you're someone from uh, the outside, an unbeliever that comes to church. He says that you're going to be assumed to have lost your mind. So how should you engage in these? This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This is what really pushes back against what some call tongues in terms of gibberish. It's kind of mentally checking out and just rambling and saying odd things. The strongest case for the spiritual gifts still being existence is going to be that they're an audible language. There's an interpreter. People interpret and understand them. The Bible never speaks of tongues as gibberish. Never. And anytime you see those silly YouTube videos where people are talking in a gibberish language, that's not the gift of tongues. I'm not sure what's happening there, but it's not the gift of tongues. So here he says, I want to use my mind when I'm singing. I want to use my mind when I'm praying. What is he talking about? The immaterial part of who he is. That's what he's talking about. He wants to not be guilty of jibber jabber. He wants to not be guilty of singing in a way that is not engaging his mind. There are many implications for a worship service and a corporate worship service to include that of the type of songs that you sing. But what I'm drawing out is that of your mind, engaging your mind. What is Paul speaking of? That part of you that is immaterial. So last verse, let's go over to 1 Timothy, and then I'm going to see if I can offer a definition to kind of pull some things together. 1 Timothy, let's go to chapter 6. In the context of greedy, false teachers who are using the gospel, For their own monetary gain, he says there's constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Booyah! Take that, prosperity gospel. Chop, 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 chop. If you are using the gospel as a means of advancing your own riches, getting wealthy, that is the rebuke here, that's false teaching, just so you know. It does not mean, 1 Timothy 5, that you shouldn't pay your pastor a worthy wage, but it does mean that those who are using the gospel to advance themselves materially, then they need to be very, 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 very careful about the way that that material blessing is affecting them. Otherwise, they are on the cusp of becoming a false teacher who are guilty of verse 5. Why do they do this? They're depraved in mind. The natural man, apart from the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, is depraved in mind. Romans one twenty eight. Ephesians 4.17 says that there is a darkened understanding that you have a hardened mind and a darkened mind. It's futile. It's vain. It's effortless. What mind are we talking about? Not the organ of the brain. We're talking about the immaterial person. These false teachers have a mind that is depraved. That's why they use the gospel to make money. So listeners as you're hearing this biblically I am very open to whatever critique you might have about my hermeneutics and my exegesis here but I think biblically when you come away from the scripture you're beginning to see the way the bible uses the term mind is actually very different from the way that we use the term mind if clifford whittingham beers wanted to offer a definition of the mind for us he would actually conflate more of a brain type of definition when biblically the mind is the inner person Biblically, the mind has to do with intellectual perception, cognition, your thoughts. When we talk about your mind, we're talking about really the center of your thinking. The mind isn't exclusively about your thoughts, but it's often associated with your thoughts. So the renewal of the mind, Romans 12, 2, it's fair to say that that entails a renewal of thinking. So it pertains to reason, attitudes, dispositions. If I were to tell you, hey, look, This lady cut me in line in the grocery store the other day, and I gave her a piece of my mind. (laughs) Most of you are like, okay, Dr. Gifford didn't whip out his pocket knife and hand over a part of his brain to her, right? I mean, hopefully you're thinking that. You're like, I get it. I get what he's saying. Like he shared his thoughts with her, his disposition with her. Yeah, because in that colloquialism, that's exactly what we're getting at. The mind is that immaterial part. I just shared my attitude, my disposition, and some thoughts. So I gave her a piece of my mind. Uh, yes, I did not hand over a part of my brain. I need all of it I can keep so that's she's not getting any of that. But yes, maybe I did share my opinion with her on her decision to cut me off. All right. Well, in that way, you know that's the mind. That is a more accurate understanding according to the scripture of what the mind is. An attitude, a thought, reason, disposition, and all of those are immaterial. So if those are immaterial listeners, then we really have to begin to ask the question, what is mental health in North America or even in the West? Let's broaden it to the West. What is mental health really talking about? Well, I'm not sure if mental health has the answer to that as I demonstrated last week, but what is mental health really getting at? They're really getting at the immaterial. They're really getting at matters of the inner person or the soul. What if, and this is just a question for you to digest, what if there's been this whole movement of mental health, a whole field started, therapists, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists. What if there's a whole group of individuals that have now encroached upon what the Bible would call as immaterial, and now they have devised their own mechanisms for treating the mind and over- over in in the scripture, we see that the way that the mind is treated is by being renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the Word, through Jesus Christ, atonement applied to our redemption so that we could see in clarity his glory, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to prevent them from seeing the glory of Christ Jesus. So what if, what if mental health has actually started to blur into the Bible's lane? What if we're now treating people with mental health and mental illness categories when biblically those are inner person soul issues? So instead of talking about the soul, we actually have created quote unquote illnesses to articulate soul matters. I hope this is loosening some of your thinking and clarifying a couple of things, but most likely you have about 2,000 questions right now that are starting to pop up into your mind, not your brain. And as we continue to work through this series, I am going to get to the topic of mental illnesses and labels that perhaps you have been given. I am going to get into psychotropic medication and my goal is that through all of this we will start with the authority of the scripture, let the Bible define the terms, and then from there begin to reverse engineer how do we think about mental health and mental illness. So, let me pray for you. We have to be done for today. Lord, I do pray for the listeners. There are some that have been raised in a culture of mental health. Uh, there are listeners that have received mental illness labels from a very young age, and some that their children have received these labels. Would you, by your grace, give us the ability to consider your word so that your word actually frames the conversation? And may through that, we have clarity on how to best honor you in the murkiness of a mental health culture.
0: Lord, give us grace for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, of course, is transformed.org and it is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and church family. Also, would you prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? And until next time, go serve your King.